Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. What's up, guys? We had DJ Morikami on the cast today, also known as Strong Camps on Instagram. We talked about movement culture, surviving the zombie apocalypse, and the effect of mushrooms. The audio could be shaky at some times, but just bear with us. It's a great conversation. Enjoy. All right, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, I am DJ Murakami. I'm a trainer out of Southern California. Um, mainly just uh, strength and conditioning uh, or, you know, working with people with physique goals, um, sort of people wanting to feel better, people wanting to survive the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> just humans. Yeah. So how did you get into strength and conditioning? So... I've been in the industry for over uh, almost like 14 years now. Okay. So right, right out of high school, I was training as like a side gig while going to school and um, working with mainly athletes. And then I got a job at an athletic training center working with college high school athletes running a, a program there for a facility. And... Uh, then I transitioned into uh, just general population um, training. And yeah, my, my personal journey has been all over the place with different modalities of training. I mean, bodybuilding, uh, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, crossfit type of stuff, uh, movement, culture skills, calisthenics, things. And uh, yeah, you know, it's dabbling with different flavors of movement. <laughs> <laughs> now, when it comes to, you mentioned that you were working with athletes and then you made your transition to general pop. Was there a reason? I know a lot of trainers will say it's just much easier to work with general pop because they appreciate it more. Uh, the high-end athletes typically think they know it all. So did you experience that? Oh man, I, I love working with athletes because you could do whatever you want and they'll they'll do it you know and <laughs> look good so i yeah i enjoy working with athletes i didn't have a negative experience it's the the gym i worked at uh closed down okay. and so i like was looking for a gym i went to like a big box commercial gym and to to take my people and then i just started working with all these housewives and i'm like well this is pretty <laughs> cool too um it's the same principles, you know, it's the same thing. Let's get you stronger. It's just uh, starting from a different place and you got to modify. But yeah, I view everyone as <laughs> it's kind of a corny thing now when you're just like train like an athlete, you know, the whole meme. <laughs> but I think, yeah, it's, it's uh, the same principles of specificity and, you know, progressive overload and, and all that. So, yeah. See, that's the beauty of it. What, I mean, there's laws that uh, laws of physiology that you have to abide by, which is progressive overload and, and so on and so forth. And it doesn't matter how you get to them. There's so many, like you said, so many different flavors of, of athleticism and bodybuilding. And that's what I love about your page is because you kind of challenge the perspective of most people, like the form police and the deadlifters that think that, oh, that's not a real deadlift because it's sumo. You know, it's just like all these it's arbitrary thoughts. And I'm just curious how you came to that perspective. Yeah, I don't think it's, I mean, I used to be the form police technique guy. Um, and I used to record everyone on the coaches. I thing and draw the lines. You need to be this yeah. push your knees out here. Um, but then I, I began to see issues with the cueing itself that, had good intentions and I'm like, whoa, you know, we're neglecting the opposite of this. You know, it was a cue invented to, let's say something was collapsing and you're like, push out this way. And then it became an absolute, like always, you know, drive the knees out or drive this out and, or head, poke your head through the window. Mm -hmm. So they're all good cues, but I think they've just became the gospel. And I started 
looking at the opposite is, hey, this is just a capacity I want to build in this direction. Or, you know, you could look at it as injury prevention. I want all the options, you know, because in life and sports, especially, you're going to find yourself in these positions. And, you know, uh, I think Andrea Spina said this, you're going to regret the, you're going to regret not training the position you got injured in. Right. Mm -hmm. So philosophically, like that's a reason, but it's always been happening. Going back to bodybuilding. I mean, I think they're the best at creating these novel stimuluses, but we don't attack them because in their context, they'll say, Oh, I want to, put a focus on this and this muscle or this and this tissue. So I'm going to create this Mm -hmm. and they're totally intuitively saying, this is where I feel it. This is where I'm going to hit it. And we do, we don't argue or poke holes in that at all. Mm -hmm. But I think when you start to do it with more traditional conventional movements and you, people think you're bastardizing them or people are coming from a sport where they hold these movements sacred, you know, in, in their game, which is arbitrary in the social construct, blah, 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 blah. But they're like, oh, that's not the efficient way to do it in a meet or whatever. And you're like, okay, well, I'm not competing in a meet, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, uh, I don't think it's the doing, I don't think it's the actual movement that people have issues with. I think it's the whole uh, idea of you're taking something in a specific um, sport or arena and you're flipping it and, you know, they, they get a little triggered by that. Yeah. It's not, it's not what they're used to seeing basically. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, when you, when you come from a certain sport or you're a trainer and you're over and over, you're telling your clients the the same cues, it becomes truth, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that the body is complex and it's can do amazing things. And uh, it's good to be reminded of that every once in a while. Now, when it comes to coaching, uh, and as you say, cues can be amazing, but they also can be kind of used in the wrong sense. Do you just set your patients up in a way where you don't need to use cueing or do you still heavily use cues? Oh, yeah, I still use verbal cues, uh, tactile cues. Um, but it's, it's based on the individual. I, I can never really say a cue on the internet in a post and be like, this is how it is. Everyone needs to do this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when I'm working with a certain individual, I will have them do a similar, the same movement, but I'll give them the exact, a a different cue now. And it's because, Hey, we're, we're using a, a different intention on this now, or, maybe I'm trying to push you a different way. I'm changing the constraints. Um, but, but I'm careful to not label something as good or bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've had experiences where I've dropped the ball as a trainer and, uh, you know, I've, I've made certain areas of movement off limits for them and that just hindered them and hurt them in the long run. And I have, there's a, it's a story I tell all the time. I had someone come in here who um, I had them pick up a sandbag. I had them press it overhead. So they picked it off the, off the ground, pressed it. And then the next rep, I'm like, all right, we're just going to deadlift it now. No pressing. And they set up in this arch to pick it up. And they felt their back and like, I can't do this. I can't deadlift. I have a bad <laughs> lower back. Even though they just picked it up <laughs> to push it over their head. So the baggage behind the word deadlift and you could tell that person had experience where they had trainers before who said, this is how you need to deadlift. This is the way to protect your back. This is, we're going to fix you here and here. So all that came in and created a nocebo mm-hmm. when intuitively their body knew how to, what they needed to do to lift it. And it felt fine. So I think we have to be cognizant of that and careful of our language mm-hmm. and how we, portray um just random exercises which is said you know exercise is a fairly new invention (laughs) right (laughs) we we were getting uh, along just fine without it but now we're such experts it's a weird field exercise science in the school working with the body yeah 
Now, intention is a very uh, nuanced topic or a nuanced feeling where you would have to at least feel it yourself to kind of understand what's going on. So how does that conversation look when you're talking to somebody that's relatively new? Yeah, I mean, an easy way to uh, transmit uh, an intention. If And, and I, <laughs> me and my friend Chris came up with this like uh, um, spelling it a different way like i end in intention like mm -hmm. physical tension because if you want to relate tension in a specific area to someone you could connect it to a uh, tissue on their body like can you do you have the mind muscle connection to your pec okay mm -hmm. okay you could squeeze your pec can you squeeze your pec while doing this movement um and that could be a certain focus and intention for someone and then you could use the same movement but want to target different tissues and that will that will change their position. The form will look different, mm -hmm. um, but they're using a different intention. And I, I like to use that over position because if you just mimic position, that doesn't tell me where your focus is. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, I can give you a certain, uh, like going back to the bodybuilder mindset, I say this is the tissue we want to target and work on. You could take five people. They will all be expressing different joint angles in different positions to hit the same area. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to be careful about making just a choreographed, mimicked movement the goal or the target because you miss maybe something deeper. Mm -hmm. But as far as giving them the tools of connecting them to uh, an experience or their body and then having them access that in, in – express movement in whatever way they have the ability to connect to that, then it's individual, then it's up to them. Um, and then there's a little more freedom uh, behind the movement. So I, I think that's a better way I try to approach it with people. It's, it's a lot less like you're, you're, you're taking out the red tape and people can have much more fun with the movement. And, and just to your point, like there's plenty of people that set up for the bench press and they look phenomenal on film. But if you're there and you see them, they're loose. They're not actually tight. They're not driving through their, their legs and activating their lats. They look like they're doing the right thing, but the intention as you refer to is not there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you could have, um, I think the people who kind of intuitively set the standards as far as technique and form, were not thinking <laughs> about form and technique, right? They were following a feeling which I think gives you a lot more, a lot more freedom, a lot more power. And, and then we look at these top performers because I think a lot of this comes down from elite athletes. And then we have people studying their biomechanics and saying, this is why they're good. And this is what we need to mimic. But at the level, these elite athletes were doing what felt right. You know, they were, creating a certain torque, a certain tension, a certain amount of force, um, which can get left behind if you're just mimicking the joint position, like we're one of those hingy dolls that they show in the lab, right? Um, I, I don't think it works like that. It's so reductionist. Uh, uh, it, it's a piece of the puzzle, you know, but um, we have to be careful when we make that the, the rule of movement. So go ahead. No, you go ahead. It's fine. Do you have a favorite training style? Because you've experienced literally every single training style: bodybuilding, powerlifting, movement variability. Do you prefer some, like a certain type of training style, or just a little bit of everything? Um, I, I haven't. There's still a lot I haven't uh, dabbled in. You know, there's a whole world out there with like uh, martial arts and uh, capoeira, and, uh, but the The ones I have played with, um, I mean, I like all of them. I, I don't like being confined in uh, the, the competitive side of it. Like, I want to be able to take for, from it without having to worry about I'm training for a meet or I'm training this movement to be efficient at it and to be the best at it. What if I want to use it for maybe a different Uh, stimulus. So I, I like all the tools. Um, my style of training now is pretty basic. I 
we'll do, you know, barbell compound movements. I'll do a lot of sandbag sled type of conditioning work. Um, it's pretty, pretty basic. If you saw me working out <laughs> now to just, I have to ask, you know, what, what draws you to go out into the desert and pick up heavy rocks? Like what's the, what's the motivation behind it? The motivation would be, uh, to see if I could lift it. Uh, I would say it's curiosity. <laughs> um, I, I remember the first rock I tried to lift. I was surprised that I couldn't lift it at all. And I'm like, whoa, I lift barbells way heavier than this. Like I'm stronger than this, but I wasn't in that context. I'm like, okay, that's, that's an issue. Um, so that's something I started to train and I started to see once again that even though it's a movement of, we could call it a deadlift where you hinge over and pick it up. Mm-hmm. It's much different than with a barbell. It's completely different tension and force you're creating. It's almost oppositional direction when you have something in between your legs and you're false gripping and compressing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see a lot of barbell, like if you're in a CrossFit class, they're going to be like, you know, chest up, rip the bar apart. Mm-hmm. Like, Cool but you're not going to do that if you're picking up the groceries, right? (laughs) So I had to learn that. And then it became just, I would see things everywhere and be like, I wonder if I could lift that up. (laughs) I wonder what I could do with that. But then it's just fun, you know? (laughs) Now, did you see any positive carryover with, with doing this type of training and with your other lifts? Yeah, I, I felt better. Um, I, I, experimented so i experimented with some clients um with sandbags so i had one one girl who was very strong she could squat you know 245 deadlift higher and we did a phase where it was just sandbags and the thing with her is i told her to pick up the 50 pound sandbag in a similar thing she was like oh this hurts my back and i'm like you just deadlifted you know 275 or whatever this is odd like this this was interesting i'm going to use you as a lab rep <laughs> which i could do because she's a long time client um so we we spent time with that um building up her capacity with the sandbag and then yep went back to the barbell and she was hitting prs uh so that's a n of one you know Right. But I kind of, I, I see that trend when I put it in people's programming and I kind of felt it myself. Be cool to do a study on it, but you know, I think there's something there. When it comes to training athletes and then also deciding that you want to uh, implement movement variability because we know the injury is going to occur to the type of movement that's not prepared for. Uh, how does that look when you are implementing a daily routine for any type of athlete? Do you do maybe like a strength block or like strength section and then you move into more movement variability? What should that look like? Um, I, it's not so much, I don't, I don't uh, specifically attack that in blocks, but it's in the training session Mm -hmm. uh, always. Uh, whether that's, you know, simple joint prep type of stuff, or if I have a, so I like to take a movement. Uh, I like to work with the basic movements like, you know, push, pull, squat, hinge, you know, carry. And we'll, we'll take those movements and we'll use a different intention, uh, as we go through cycles. So say, you know, you know, this time we're going to tap into spiraling it, you know, as we go through and when we're going to spiral the other way, or we're going to um, use an internal torque on this movement. Now we're going to use an external torque while creating this movement. So we, we have the same basic movements coming up, but we'll change the intention. And with the change of intention, uh, that might mean we need a different setup or we need a different implement or we need to modify it. Uh, but all of that is geared towards, once again, the experience and, you know, uh, the focus of the day. So, yeah, uh, once again, it's it's basic, but within that basic framework, it, the rabbit holes get 
deep. <laughs> deeper and deeper. Exactly, exactly. And it just, uh, you know, just thinking about it from, or at least looking at it from a conventional perspective, you, you can see some of these moves that you perform on Instagram. You might ask yourself, like, how do you progress these things? Or why are you doing these things? And that's why I was so interested to talk to you because, you know, the, the rabbit holes is the reason why you're doing it. You know, like you're, you're preparing the, the joint for a specific torque or spiral or position or force. And then that's going to in, inherently protect you in the future, hopefully. Yeah. I, it, and I get that uh, comment a lot when I'm posting anything that, you know, looks different mm-hmm. is, you know, why would you do this? Or you're going to hurt yourself or this is irresponsible. Um, to post because people might try it. And I'm like, I hope people will try it, but, but of course they're not going to try the same weight. You know, if I were to do the same lift with an empty barbell or PVC pipe, no one would care. Mm-hmm. Only fact is that there's an amount of weight on there that scares them. It, it brings up an emotional response, um, which it should, that's, that's your body's protecting like, Oh, that wouldn't be a good thing to do. Um, but if you have the appropriate weight for the individual and progressively load you and you adapt to it, then it's fine. So once again, I don't think it's the movement that's um, bothering people. It's the fact that there's a bar and there's a weight on there that um, could be dangerous to some people, but it's, you know, it's all relative to the individual. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's just load. Like your body doesn't know you're moving in X or Y direction. It just absorbs load. And if your tissue is prepared, then you're not going to get injured. Like people think they will. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the more load the tissues can handle, the safer they are, the safer you are in the world. It's the opposite <laughs> of being dangerous if it's done the right way. Right. Definitely. You made a, a recent post uh, with the tug of war with your friend and you made a great point where um, it doesn't matter if you have perfect technique, size and strength is most likely going to win that battle. And I was just curious how you would approach that situation with somebody that may not be the quote unquote prototypical size for let's say football, which is a, a size dependent sport, unless you're in a specific position. How would you develop a program to prepare this athlete to have the best chances on the field. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, I do work with quite a few uh, field athletes, football players, and you know, uh, the the kid I was <laughs> in the video. I mean, he was three hundred pounds at one point, D one <laughs> athlete, and um, yeah, the. I, th- I think the programming stays the same. We want you to be bigger, stronger, faster, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, also put in the, the goodies and the movement veggies for uh, all the uh, injury prevention. But, yeah, it's diet. I mean, eat more food, <laughs> a lot more. Uh, sprinkle some MSG on your on your meat, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, that's – and it was funny because that's almost common sense, right? Like, if you're bigger, you're going to have – an advantage because of physics, you know, and uh, leverage and mass. But I uh, had a lot of people uh, get upset with that. I think because in, I think in the movement culture, little subculture on in fitness, it's very like technique dominant, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, that's not a sport. You're never having to compete against another human being. Right. Um, <laughs> And you find out real quick how technique is a tool and uh, the size of your body is also a tool, right? They're all just tools you could use at your disposal. I mean, there's a whole reason why there's weight classes in UFC, wrestling, weightlifting, because they all play a massive role in in the sport. Yeah, yeah. And thankfully, you know, that gives – it creates more hierarchies for people to play games in mm-hmm. and that lets more people have fun. Um, but then you see, I, I mean, take, take a sport that doesn't have those constraints and limits like basketball. Mm-hmm. Most of them are going to be tall. Being <laughs> tall matters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't really think about that. Yeah. Basketball doesn't have that size constraint. And then once again, you could do the same thing with football. You're, it's, you're going to be hard struck to find anybody that's below 250 pounds in the NFL, unless it's a quarterback or somebody that needs to be fast, you know? Yeah. There's a few, I mean, but, but if you look at going to 
offensive line, defensive line, right? Linebacker, running back. Yeah, you're. <laughs> it's very people might say like Spud Webb or something in in basketball, but that's one person that we right. keep a decade ago. <laughs> it's an outlier. Yeah. <laughs> No, I've, I've been very curious, and uh, maybe I was just a little confused because I don't really know what's going on. But uh, what is this whole project you had going on in the past about uh, mushrooms? Psilocybin, that's the word? Didn't want to butcher it. Yeah, yeah, you guys are active, very naive and coy about it. You know what it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I was... Me and my friend Tom Mountjoy, uh, Primal Movies on Instagram. So we would be discussing amongst each other our experiences moving and training on psilocybin. And um, so we were just, this was over the course of a few years, just, you know, taking notes. Um, we ran some just personal tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we found it was actually... Uh, you know, a performance enhancer, you know, as an aid to performance. And more and more that, you know, I I wrote an article on it and I kind of opened up to it and I got a massive amount of feedback, a lot of them from professional athletes Mm -hmm. who started talking about how it changed their game. A lot of them were MMA fighters. Um, Just talking about pattern recognition, um, getting into the flow state, reading other people, uh, skill acquisition, which I think is linked to the neuroplasticity. And uh, yeah, I think there's a lot there. And I think a lot of people are experimenting with it right now, especially because it's not tested for Mm -hmm. uh, like something like THC is. Um, But, but a lot of people aren't talking about it maybe, but I think pretty soon it's going to come out as uh you know, take your take your creatine and your pre workout, and maybe a micro dose if you want to. You know, have some more benefits. Now, when it comes to this micro doses, did you like when you're lifting? Does it feel like what? Does it put you in a certain state of just you're zoned in? Like, how did you feel when? Because you mentioned that it was a performance enhancer, so I'm curious of how that went. It's not is extreme on the strength output power output side of things even though it does uh have like a fear diminishment property to it so approaching weights you aren't as psyched out as much um but i think more so uh things like mobility uh active mobility in particular you can access a lot further ranges actively um you lines of tension is kind of been the biggest rabbit hole I've gone down with it is just getting out of the grooves of this movement is like this. You'll, you'll find different ways to access movement. You'll find different tensions to go through a similar movement. So it kind of breaks um, it, it deep patterns, habitual movement and gives you maybe a fresh perspective on it. And I've had a lot of like level ups from doing that. Um, uh, I would do something and I would just be, you know, trying it and experimenting in different ways and finding a way that felt better. And immediately it was more efficient, more effective. I kept it and it would be like a PR that day. And it would just be, I would be better at the skill of doing it because I got to experience a different way to do it. <laughs> which felt better. So it gives you that space and that freedom and that option that we might be more closed off to regularly um, because we do get in these, we get in these loops of habits, thoughts, and, you know, everything, including the physical, right? Even movement. So uh, I think having that space open up for more freedom of choosing an alternate way that could be potentially better. I'm not going to say it automatically makes you better, I think just um, it, it gives you a little bit of enhanced learning mm-hmm. uh, during a training session. I mean, as you mentioned before, you ask somebody to target a specific muscle tissue. They're going to all have probably different angles in their elbow or the shoulder. And 
maybe they won't have that because they have this program thought of, no, I need to be doing this to target this tissue. But maybe if they were microdosing with uh, the psilocybin, they might be more welcoming or into finding the proper way to tension that, that bicep, let's say. Yeah, definitely. It would be a different experience. And I think most of all, it, um, see how I could articulate this. It's, um, it opens you up to trying new things and not worrying about failure as much. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, a big change I've been hearing about is it's less of a performance on a microdosing and it's more of a, you get into the exploration mindset. So you could just, it becomes playing around. Let's play around with this and see how it feels. And you're, you know, when you have that play mindset, you're open to trying new things. You're open to, Oh, that didn't work. It's no longer pass or fail, which like we talked about before, I think is not a good thing in the fitness industry or not a good thing to put on clients as a trainer, as this is like a test and you're good and you're bad. It's let's, let's play might be a better mindset. So it, it aids in that as well. Let's see. Like, I believe you had a, a well-known champion in jujitsu talk about her experience with uh, using the mushrooms and she's found it was a great experience. Yeah, that one's interesting because, uh, yeah, uh, Mar- Nomadic Mars on Instagram, uh, Margaret uh, Ciccarelli, she, so she's a five-time world champion. She's one of the best uh, jiu-jitsu athletes in the world. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how large doses outside of training changed how she viewed the game of jiu-jitsu for her, like, it changed the language. She was kind of confined in the language of jujitsu. Like this is this move. This is that move. Put them together. And then it kind of opened it up to, whoa, this is just the language of movement. And I have so many more options and uh, freedom to, you know, play around with this. And uh, it connected a lot of dots for, so that was interesting to hear, you know, that never crossed my mind that, Hey, yes, it could be used as a, a performance enhancement, for skill and training with microdoses, but also just having someone who's already immersed in a certain world or sport have a large um, psychedelic experience, and then it reframes their perspective on the sport and opens up new possibilities. I think that's also cool, um, and maybe there's something there. I mean, in in a sport such as jujitsu, where it's it's heavily you need to recognize patterns, right? You need to know what your opponent is doing in order to either counter it or roll with it so you can counter it later. Uh, it's big. And to have an elite athlete, like, you know, just say that, all right, I look at something I've been doing probably my whole life completely different now is, is more than just a supplement. This is something that could be a very powerful tool for elite athletes in the future. Yeah, it's an interesting drug. I mean, <laughs> most most supplements or drugs or chemicals or foods, whatever you want to call it, that that people use, it's to affect a certain physical quality. Mm-hmm. Like we want more, um, a bigger pump, so we're going to take this NL supplement. We want more creatine in the muscle for this energy system. Um, or we're going to pop this antidepressant to level out the you know uh, chemicals in your brain, and we're going to counter this and that. But this one's like it's not so much about that. It's about the meaning and the experience um, that you give it, you know, uh, which is why intention is such a big thing when you're using these compounds is, you know, what's your values and priority and what is it you want? And maybe we could look at it and, you know, have a new, uh, uh, change the lens a bit and kind of zoom out. It's interesting. Now, you're a part of this online platform, uh, Online Movement University. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, uh, like I said before, I I dabbled in a lot of different training modalities. So, um, what it is is an educational platform, really, where we have a different presenter uh, teach every month in, in their modality. So we have maybe a breathwork 
practitioner, a mobility specialist. Maybe we have someone from like a fighting monkey, if you've heard of them. So we, we invite people who are researching and immersed in different fields of movement. We had a strong man on. We had a dancer come teach. And it's kind of like, all right, let's jump into their world. Let's see how they view things. Let's see what we could learn, what tools they have to offer, what perspective they have, um, and what we could take from that as trainers. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just a good way to – because <laughs> as someone who falls into this myself, I, I know a lot of trainers out there are spending, you know, 500 a thousand bucks for the new course the new cert and they're constantly grabbing for more so it's like hey why don't we just bring them all here and you could get a taste and if there's something you like and there's something you want to go deep down then then you'll know okay maybe this is for me maybe i want to invest in this um so yeah that's pretty much what a omu online movement university is i mean that's awesome because if you consider like I mean, I could definitely see a trainer buy certs or go see seminars that are just going to confirm their biases versus if you have something like OMU, you're, you're exposed to all this different stuff where you might be more open to learning a new thing, which could be the thing that changes your whole philosophy on training. I think that's very important is to have your uh, ideologies challenged. Uh, so, yeah, that's the thing we like about it is it's not <laughs> – we have a lot of people who contradict other people and uh, different points of view. And when you start to see that many, it's like, well, maybe it depends, you know? <laughs> and I think that's a good perspective to have because, you know, especially on the internet with the algorithm, you're going to see what you want to see and you're going to get into the echo chambers you want. Uh, and that's a slippery slope. I've seen it. I've been in, I've been in those cults. Mm -hmm. I really have. I've been in those groups of systems of training mm -hmm. where it gets so ingrained in you. This is the narrative. This is how the body works. This is right and wrong. And, um, you stop thinking for yourself at some point and it just becomes about the rhetoric. Mm -hmm. Um, so thankfully I was, you know, have people in my life who challenged me on them and who, uh, I was able to open up discussions and, you know, try different things. And, uh, but yeah, uh, I saw it on Instagram the other day. It was this little beef between two different people. And it was like, it was like ad hominem attacks, <laughs> but uh, I think it was with Joel Seedman. And, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. um, and I was like, God, this is, <laughs> we need some like uh, celebrity death match fighting <laughs> I'd pay to see that oh yeah. yeah I'd love to see that we'll see who's really more functional go oh, right, right. <laughs> the, the above 90 degree squat yeah. <laughs> yeah which yeah. might win yeah it, it, it could yeah, 90 good. degree with more weight might be the dude doing uh, the in range training that's the thing. You don't know. <laughs> it depends. The quote, it depends, comes it up way depends. too much. <laughs> now, just to, to wrap this all up and to uh, get your thought on this, because you're a clear professional in it, um, how do you prepare somebody for the zombie apocalypse? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wrote an article on it, and I, I, made, a, I made a point to say, look, this is just the physical side. In reality, you're going to want to do weapons training and <laughs> hang out with a doomsday prepper. But yeah, as far as just like it, relating it to training in a fun way, um, I think, I mean, the, going back to just, just get strong, <laughs> just get strong. Don't try to be too pretty. Don't try to move too pretty. Get some heavy weight on your body. Um, and I, I think one thing I changed my mind about is maybe maybe we don't want to be uh, an across-the-board generalist. You know, maybe in a social setting, when you have a tribe of people, like originally how things get divvied up, uh, you want specialists. You want a group of different specialists. Mm -hmm. So, hey, you know, 
we're always thinking about balance or I got to balance this or I got to focus on my weakness. Uh, maybe take your strength and see how far you could push the talents and the gifts you have. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, you got to be mindful and there's got to be some sort of balance, but that doesn't mean mediocrity should be the goal. You know, mm-hmm. you have something special you could offer in the zombie apocalypse squad. You know, if you're trying out, uh, you bring that to the table. Um, and yeah, I, th- I just think strength overall is, um, is safe. It is protective and it does forgive you in terms of, you know, skills, uh, and other things, qualities you might be lacking. Uh, so yeah. And now are we talking about the, the type of zombies that are fast or the slow zombies? Cause if they're fast, I mean, <laughs> you just find a high place and don't move. Right. <laughs> oh, not from the TV shows I've seen. Yeah, you gotta maybe you gotta worry about the humans then. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I think also the the complexity um, of play is something that would be huge in the zombie apocalypse because uh, I think if you take a, a Olympic sprinter and you take this doesn't exist yet, but the uh, Olympic champion of uh, like tag, right? Okay. And they have some of these now competitions. If you've seen them, it's yeah, like park like that. Like I'm taking that person over the fastest person. Like fast is good, but can you play? Like can you orient yourself to the environment? Can you change on the dime? You know, can you navigate uh, the environment? Can you be reactive? Like that's the quality I want, which is harder to pinpoint inside the gym. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, this is some another thing I do with some of my athletes. Um, like we'll play handball in the gym. Okay. Do they call it handball over there? Like yeah. where you bounce it on the wall and you hit it? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Have yeah. them play that. It's like, are we working out? You know, what are we doing? I think that's way better than, say, a speed ladder mm-hmm. you know, or some A-B skips. It's like, no, go play. Try to win. You're you're cutting. You're doing change of direction. Um, it's tied with meaning, you know, you have a task, um, you know why you're doing it and you get instant feedback. Oh, you lost, uh, you weren't fast enough. And and once again, it's fun. So you can milk a lot more workload out of it. Right. Right. If if you were to send someone down a mountain on a hike, uh, of, you know, rocks and they're doing little quarter sissy squats and awkward movements with their ankles but they're in a beautiful landscape with a friend, having fun, having a task of just going up and down the mountain. They'll feel generally feel okay the next few days. That might even be restorative um, recovery type of activity. But if I put someone on the gym and said, okay, I want to mimic that. So do, you know, a 2,000 uh, quarter sissies. You know, you're going to be torn up. Your chance of injury is going to go up. You're going to be miserable. You're not going to want to do that more than once. So once again, uh, as the biomechanists like to break down everything in the, just these positions and angles, we have, we can't forget that we're have a user interface as a human. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's a lot more to movement than, uh, just what you see on paper. So yeah, uh, long story short, zombie apocalypse, play games, get strong, <laughs> bring something to the table. I think that's like it's a massive. That's a huge tip because a lot of a lot of coaches they get lost in this this minutia when realistically you can just go tell them to go play a different sport that they don't really play, and that in its own is a complex open drill where they have to pay attention and they have to react to something they're not used to, versus something like okay you're a football player, let's do a football drill. Well, one, they're already prepared for it, and they might actually be almost too prepared for it where they're not stimulated. So it's just you – you make a great point. And we know that the best uh, the best child – child athletes that turn pro, they play many sports, you know. So realistically, they're just on a never-ending cycle of open, complex drills. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's the fact that maybe trainers – I mean, we like things that are standardized so we can measure them and we could um, put them up against other people um, create a standard mm-hmm. uh, and have control. 
and then we could say it was this in my program, this did it. Mm -hmm. I could somewhat take credit for it or the program could take credit. But it is harder to just be open and be like, yeah, let's just, uh, let's play and see what happens, you know? <laughs> so I'm curious when it comes to, uh, so how does your programming look? Because, you know, you just talked about how it might not be the most beneficial to be super standardized while other people in a different camp would be like, no, you need to be absolutely standardized so I can, you could see where you went wrong. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Oh yeah, I'm pretty, pretty loose with it. Uh, <laughs> I do set up programming so that, that I mean, our goal is um, to hit a PR every day. Okay. With with myself and anyone I'm training, it's progressive in that sense. So okay, we're gonna go for a five uh, RM, which is in here. It's like a comfortable five RM. <laughs> you know, it's not not too hardcore, but uh. So we'll say 5RM with, uh, with this variation. And I talked about the different intentions. Um, okay, now we're going to hit a PR with this intention, or now we're going to hit a 3RM uh, PR, or now we're going to add a pause. So um, uh, lots of tiny variability in the movement. Uh, maybe the implement will change. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that they can progress uh, and hit a PR every time. And yeah, we'll, we'll cycle through that for maybe three months of just um, milking out as much PR as we can. So the program, that, I mean, the only structure I have in place is to set up that progression uh -huh. um, through their, their program. But other than that, it's, you know, what, what feels good. We're always changing things up depending on the individual, lots of auto-regulation, lots of like, do you enjoy this? You know, <laughs> so uh, it's an ongoing conversation with a little bit of framework and with framework and structure. Uh, but it's a, you got to balance both of them out. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of parallels between what you just described to the conjugate system where you make a, some side of a, a variation or an implement where it's self-limiting, where they're not going to truly reach their one rep max. So, you know, they can come back the next day and do something else. Um, but they typically use their implements or their variations to gear towards a bigger total with the big three. Uh, I'm just curious how you decide your variations with your clients. Yeah, I mean, that's why conjugate is, is badass. Yeah, it's very, very smart. And they're allowed to they're allowed to produce such an amount of effort without, you know, with a less risk of beating yourself up because of all the variability they have, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what was the question? So they typically pick implements based off of how they can improve their bench squat and deadlift. Um, I'm just curious how you choose your implements or your exercise variations for somebody that may not be trying to increase those? Yeah. So we, it's, it's not random, but it's, um, it's usually less complexity um, to more complexity. So we usually go towards like um, the, the full lift, like the, the standard uh, competition type of lift. Um, but we'll go more, uh, you know, I might start someone with, um, uh, like I like partials a lot. So we'll do partials, load up heavy weight. Uh, we'll do carries with a heavy weight. And I like to do that because I know their, their structure, you know, building the structure first. Can you even handle this weight on your back? Can you walk with it? Can you take a step with it? Now we can do partials then maybe box squats, and then maybe full squats, and then maybe we can go into some weird, more complex variation, maybe a Steinborn, old school type of lift. Um, but yeah, usually starting with the, you know, heavy structural work and then going into more complexity and skill. And then, you know, <clears throat> this will take a period of months and then going back and trying to break the PRs you previously did, which always feels great. But I think, yeah, the only thing you have to, worry about is the amount of time in between um, in that sense. But yeah, yeah. I mean, if done right. You could be hitting, you know, thankfully if you don't have any injuries that hold you back PRs for, for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And that keeps you going. Right. Small wins. You know, you feel great every time you PR. I mean, like you just walk out like your lats flared, even though you have none, you know, you feel great. You know, <laughs> I, I think that is the biggest benefit is psychologically. You might say there's other methods where you can um, get stronger in a certain amount of time if you're preparing. But you know, if that's, if that's not really your goal and it's more of a holistic uh training target then yeah i think psychologically those little wins every day where you're um feel good when you leave and you're excited when you come in that's 90 percent of the battle when you're working with a general population coming in who's not like a movement uh fitness geek like we are right yeah, you right. have to you have to get that built-in incentive um yeah I know I said, like, you know, I was, was going to wrap this up after the zombies, but you just keep on sparking more and more questions. And uh, I, I, I got time. You can go. <laughs> all right. Awesome. So I was curious because uh, a while back I came across one of your posts and it was about the old time strength feats and, uh, you know, how they've gotten strong. And, you know, obviously over time history, some of the, the feats might be exaggerated, but these guys are very strong and they weren't conventional lifters by any means. Um, you could, what jogged my memory was the Steinborg squat like you know it's it's very hard to even get into a position where you can get a bar off the ground up into your back without a rack and i'm just curious um what what feats or what type of exercises that have been lost that you don't think they should have been lost and are actually super effective hmm yeah i think i think it seems difficult because we're not we haven't been exposed to it right Mm -hmm. like even a conventional lift, like taking a bar and squatting all the way down and coming up is, is pretty difficult in itself. You know, that's a full range of motion, but you know, before the, I think it's because we gauge it with like, this is how much weight I usually do. Oh, would I be able to do it like that? But that wouldn't really be a question if that's just how you had to get the bar on your back. Right. And that's how it was before the invention of the squat rack, which we invented it so we could do, once again, going back to a sport, heavy competition squats to this. But when you have back then, there was a lot more movements they did and they looked very different. And there, it wasn't so much about the technical skill. I mean, a lot of them look ugly if you look at those old squats compared to the standard today. But I feel like they were actually safer um not not necessarily safer versions of the squat but these people doing them in all these different awkward angles Mm -hmm. i feel like they could just throw weight on do it and they had so much more preparation and all these awkward angles um maybe it wasn't the most efficient maybe they wouldn't win compared to today's standards but i feel like they have a lot that people today don't have and i feel like they're probably safer and if you look at uh, the history of a lot of them, they were doing feats of strength up into their like seventies. Like these people kept going until their heart stopped beating. <laughs> I mean, was it Hackensmith? Like one of them, like he, he went and like wrestled somebody and like did some lifts and like a mile run. And he was like 70 something or 80. And then he felt his heart stopping and, and he got out a piece of paper and wrote a letter and was like i'm dying right now (laughs) things down and they found it neatly folded in his sock when they found his body like i feel like they when i look at systems today that promise like okay we know how the body works based on the literature and we're going to invent this system this is what you need to do to be healthy human it's like people have been testing these new systems out for what, five years, 10 years. Like I don't exactly trust them as having the answer. You know, I'm looking back to the people who lived it their entire life and to their old age and were living optimally and at their peak and full of vitality. That's who I want to draw knowledge and wisdom from. Uh, so yeah, I, I forgot the question exactly, but <laughs> Top three unconventional, well, quote unquote, unconventional to the the average lifter exercises that you think should be utilized on a regular basis. Okay, cool. Um, huh. Okay. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, I just want to preface by saying I have no issue with conventional lifting either. I love right. that. But uh, some cool ones. Uh, I think, uh, hmm, there's so many. The um, So if you could do the, the Arthur lift, I think is a great one. So it's kind of like a hack uh, squat type of uh, pull from the back, getting it on your hips mm. uh, and then pulling it up the back. So that right there is, I mean, it's a different stimulus of, of pulling from that angle. And you get in this nice natural hinge position, which you have to be in. And you can pull the bar up to your back to do a squat or a press um, without having a squat rack. Um, another one might be, let's see. It might be so military pressing, but done with uh, done with a lean back. Okay. So you see it nowadays. People are very like neutral spine, you know, squeeze the butt, tuck the hips, you know, chin tucked, and we have this like straight line. Which I'm not sure when that started, but it might have came from uh, Olympic lifting. Where if you're doing a jerk, yeah, you want to create that line for the bar to go up, but it's a different movement. And then I think maybe uh, CrossFit reinforced it where it's like, it was very straight up and down like a robot. Um, and then the, I guess you could say physical therapy community, um, brought in the narrative that, you know, if you're arching your back, that means you're compensating for shoulder flexion or this and that, and you're, you're in a compromised position. But I would disagree. I would say it's a stronger position to be in, you know, if, if done with the right intention, of course. Um, yeah, so and if you do it with a rock or any odd object like that, you're going to have to use a big uh, extension while lifting. And it doesn't mean you're lacking any qualities uh, or mobility. It's just the way you lift a heavy weight, uh, you know, in a more real-life situation. So I would say more of the lean back, like the old-school people would do as far as pressing and it was in the um, Olympic weightlifting before they um, changed the rules. The, the, the press used to be a lift uh, in meets and then they took it out uh, because people kept gaming it and like bridging back <laughs> so far, which is awesome, you know, and I love to see that. Uh, and then I guess third would be a, um, uh, a curl like the, uh, old school coral where it was done for weight. You know, it was like getting a weight from here to here, um, as heavy as you can. And, and then now we would say, I mean, it, if it helps, if, if you feel triggered by a heavy cheat curl, maybe think of, Hey, this is like, um, this is like a clean, except mm -hmm. you're supinated and uh, using the curling motion. Um, but yeah, I would, moving heavy weight like that is a different way of moving it than you have. So it's probably worth exploring mm -hmm. and you know, it's less efficient than a clean. So if I had two high school football players and one of them, I saw one of them cheat curl 275 and another one clean 275. Give me the one who could cheat curl 275. <laughs> yeah. You gotta be a strong motherfucker, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that I think, uh, once again, it's the culture that is going to limit people from feeling comfortable doing these in a public gym, right? Because we're told, don't squat it or, or don't curl in the squat rack. Like, don't, uh, don't cheat when you're curled. You know, we need to isolate this muscle. Isolating that muscle and turning it into a bodybuilding style isolation curl is fine in that intention, in that context. Mm -hmm. But once again, we fall into trouble when now we can't do anything else. <laughs> because we're stuck in the mindset of this specific thing, which was invented by a bodybuilder for a specific reason, but now it's the norm. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to see, I'd like to see a gym where people could just do what they want to do <laughs> and not be judged or shamed, but it's hard. You know, uh, we grew up in this. Of course. Of course. Now, where can everyone find you, DJ? 
Well, I, I think the best place would be on Instagram at Strong Camps. Uh, I have a link in my bio to my website. Um, yeah. You also uh, have a podcast, right? I do, yeah. Um, I have a podcast. So I'm, I'm co-host on a podcast with my friend Tom. Um, and I also have a podcast with my friends uh, John Yoon and Majestic Mirth. Uh, that's called the OMU Cast, one word. The other one you could find, mine is a Human Strong Radio on iTunes. Yeah, check that out if you want to. It's not as good as this podcast, I'll tell you that. <laughs> this one's way better. You're too much, man. You're too much. I just want to thank you for coming on because honestly, like, you know, I was talking to him about it. I was like, if we can get him on, I have so many questions. And the fact that you responded, I was like a little giddy schoolgirl. Like, yes, yes, yes. So, <laughs> fangirl. Fangirling over here. Uh, nice. Well, it was a fun conversation. Yeah, I had a good time. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs>